This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Francesa Podcast. As we get ready to start the second half of the, well, really past the second half, but the post-All-Star break baseball season. Let's start with baseball here. And remember, for uh, all of your wagering needs, it's go. It's the Bet Rivers app. It's your go-to place. Uh, it's all you need. It'll have everything that you want. And remember, in New York and New Jersey, it's Bet Rivers. In Connecticut, it is uh, Play Sugar House. So uh, that's your places to go as we uh, get ready for some baseball and get ready for the opening of Football camps. A couple of things here. Number one, the Major League Baseball Player Association would like baseball to tweak the new rules before the stretch drive and the postseason, not wanting a game, a very meaningful game, to hinge on these rulings uh, or any of the violations uh, from the clocks. If Manfred does that, he will have backtracked on a lot of the good he did. You cannot play a sport, no matter what major sport it is, under two sets of rules. You can't have rules for the regular season and then rules for the postseason. If you do that, then what you're saying is that our rules don't work. And to say, well, we'll shorten the games in the regular season, but now people don't care if the games are longer because they're important and they're postseason. Hey, Baseball cannot operate that way. If they do, they will have really diminished any good they did. So Manfred has to stand his ground, tell the Major League Baseball Players Association, we're not changing the rules. Get your pitches up to speed. There are fewer violations being called. And get ready for the fact that the pitcher is going to have to, in tense times, still maintain his timing on the mound and if his breathing is off or he gets tired tough luck that's all there is to it he's had a year to get ready to get up to snuff he's had a season to get compliant with everything that is now part of the game and that's plenty of time and like i said if you try to do it under two different rules you're embarrassing your sport one other thing There is talk of putting in. Now, none of it has been guaranteed, and they're not even sure of what the exact protocol would be. But there is talk of allowing challenges to pitches, to balls and strikes, in the near future. Absolutely a disaster. Don't go there. Understand here in this age of artificial intelligence and advanced technology that sports is going to have to maintain 
a relationship with the human element. That's all there is to it. Players make errors. Players make gaffes on the base paths. They drop double play balls. They throw away ground balls. They miss cutoff men. They make mistakes. They pop up bunts. They do things incorrectly. It's part of the game. There's a human element to the game. You can't make the umpires robots. 100% perfection in calls is not possible. Allow the human element to be there in balls and strikes. It's worked forever. All right, there's going to be days when it's bad. We all remember Eric Gregg's strike zone. We all remember some horrific umpiring in the postseason. I can give you chapter and verse, but I don't want to, you know, rake the guys over the coals again. But it's part of the human element. And if you take the human element out of sports, what are you left with? So I am vehemently opposed to challenging balls and strikes. Just like I'm vehemently opposed to challenging pass interference because by the time you look at the angles trying to decipher pass interference, you will be there 10 minutes on some plays. Right now, the replay procedure is tediously long and it hurts the game dramatically in big spots, sometimes for really no reason. To do this on things that will be very hard very difficult to decipher. And there's times now on replay where a play at first base is really almost impossible to declare if it's safer out. So to go into the balls and strike area in, in terms of replay and, and challenge would be, a, a, I think, a colossal mistake. Yanks went outside the organization. The other day I was asked on an email that I think they stay inside or outside. I said they go outside. They went outside and they got Sean Casey, who's been basically a broadcaster. Sean Casey had a good career. He's a popular player. Now he's the batting instructor. When Cashman hired him, he said he brings in enthusiasm. You just hit it. He brings in enthusiasm. And he doesn't bring a guaranteed hitting Doctrine with him, he brings in enthusiasm. Which means he's going to motivate my hitters. He's going to be what batting instructors are, which is they are psychologists. They hold hitters' hands. They prompt them to work in the cage. They reinforce good habits. They talk pitching. They can't make you hit. Bad hitters don't hit. Batting coaches don't make bad hitters hit well. So to blame the batting coach is just what it is. It's, it's just foolish. Because the guy really is more of a psychologist and a handholder and, and, and a cheerleader than anything else. 
He reinforces good habits. Fine. He gets you to work. Fine. Let's go down and work a little more. Let's work tomorrow before the game for a half hour. Let's work tomorrow for an hour. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's look at this video. Hey, the players all do work. We know that. No one's accusing the players of not working. What we're accusing of them is having no ability to hit or having lost the ability to hit. The Yankees have a collection right now that is unbelievable. Texas Rangers have five guys with 800 OPSs. The Yankees have none when Judge is out of the lineup. Rizzo's hitting 257 in his last hundreds of bats. He's hitting 175 with no homers. LeMayu is a lifetime 293 hitter. You know what he's been as a Yankee. His splits are 220, 285, 642. He struck out 71 times. This is a guy who's only struck out 100 times once in his career. He's already struck out 71 times this year. There is something wrong with Rizzo. There is something wrong with LeMayu. Stanton had a two-homer game. Other than that, he has done absolutely nothing. He's hitting 203 with a 276 on base percentage. And his power numbers aren't even good. Well, he's hitting 216 with a 287 on base percentage, and he struck out 100 times. He should not be batting leadoff. He's got power. You can live with him hitting 215 to 220 and playing shortstop every day as a rookie. But in his last 30 at-bats, he skidded again. And he doesn't walk. He walked early in the year. He doesn't walk anymore. His on-base percentage is awful. You can't bat him leadoff. The Yankees don't have a leadoff hitter. Unless LeMayu comes out of his funk. Donaldson's hitting 152 with a 232 on-base percentage. He struck out 30% of the times up. He has had a freakish year in that. He's got 15 hits. He's got 10 homers. But he's hitting 152. And the Yankees dot this whole lineup with guys hitting under 200 or right around 200 and with on-base percentages under three. The whole lineup. They got two guys in the lineup and one is slumping badly. And that's Rizzo, who are over 300 on-base percentage guys. Torres and Rizzo. That's it. You think Sean Casey's going to come in and just wave a magic wand and this is going to get better? You got to figure some of these guys are going to improve because they've never been this bad. I mean, LeMayu's never been this bad. Rizzo's never been this bad like he has for the last 140 at-bats. I think something's wrong with Rizzo. I, I think he's felt he has to stay in the lineup. I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt, and I'm saying there's some reason why he does not it does not swing the bat like he used to. He has no power in a swing now. He has shortened his swing dramatically. When was the last time you saw him hit a long fly? So when you're dotting your lineup, in the middle of your lineup with Donaldson hitting 150 and Rizzo's hitting 175 in his last 150 at-bats and LeMayu's hitting 220 and none of these guys have 300 on-base percentages and they all strike out a lot and they're way too right-handed. 
So you bring a right-handed pitcher in who's got a nasty curveball, and it's over. That's what Casey gets to work with. They should improve just because they can't be this bad for two halves. But to make this about the batting coach, come on. Like it's his fault. If I ask you right now who the Texas batting coach is, you don't even know who he is. And why would you? They have good offensive players who are hitting well. That's why they are scoring runs, and that's why their numbers are where they are. The Yankees don't. When we come back, your email. You're listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Send your emails to someone stopped me yesterday and said, Hey, would you, do you actually read these emails and, 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 and uh, refer to them? I said, Hey, the process is you send the emails, Mons gets them, and he sends them to me, and I read them. And I respond to them. That's how it is. And I don't look at them beforehand. Mon sends me a bunch of emails, and I don't look at them before the show starts because I want to react to them spontaneously. That's why sometimes in my commentary, I might cover a subject that's in the email, but I didn't know it was in the email because I haven't read it. But these are the stories of the day. I, I wanted to mention one other, which needs to be mentioned. Really two other topics, but one central theme and that is coaches in trouble right now I'm referring to Fitzgerald and I'm referring to Huggins if you've followed the Northwestern story or you know the Northwestern story with Fitzgerald you know that he has done an incredible job of making Northwestern competitive winning titles winning uh, bowl games with a team that used to be a doormat in the Big Ten because of their size and their academic standards. He was very well thought of. He turned down a lot of jobs. He turned down the Notre Dame job. I believe he turned down the Michigan job at one time. Uh, I think he might have turned down the Chicago Bears once. Um, he's been off at a lot of jobs. Now comes this whistleblower who states that there is this really degrading, and in this day and age, a fireable offense. When I heard the hazing of the underclassmen based on mistakes they make in practice, um, I said, oh, he's gone. Now, he was just given a two-week suspension, and then the president came back with new information and then fired him. Now, he was fired for cause, underline that, because they owe him $40 million, which they don't want to pay him. So you know where this is headed. It's headed to the courts, but also because without a reckoning here, Fitzgerald will never get another job based on what he's being accused of here. Condoning and maybe even leading this hazing that was sexual in nature and barbaric, okay, and alarming. Now, he says he didn't know. 
coaches always say they didn't know. And I never lean towards the coach never knowing because I believe these coaches who are completely in control of everything around their surroundings know everything that happens. They brag. I've been at schools where the coaches brag. I know everything that happens in my town. I have had head coaches say that to me. There's nothing that happens. Forget my school. There's nothing that happens in my city that I don't know about. Yeah, Bryant used to go so far as to say, in my state. That I don't know about. The head football coach at a big university has extensive power in that domain. So did Fitzgerald know? I don't know. He says he didn't. They have to prove he did before they can fire him. And if they want to get rid of him because they don't like the whole smell of the whole thing, well, then they got to pay him $40 million. Now, there are players saying this thing has been completely twisted and, and blown out of proportion. There is a petition of players who say, bring him back, he's great. There's a player who had a brain trauma who wrote an open letter saying that this coach is the greatest man I've ever met, and he took care of me when I was hurt and sick. Went to the hospital, called me on game days, gave me his home phone number, was there for me every step of the way. And then there's one guy who said he was going to do everything in his power to make sure that Pat Fitzgerald rotted in jail. And that's the whistleblower. So the question now here is, can you prove that he knew? Like I said, my theory on these situations is that they always know. That nothing happens anywhere in their locker room or anywhere in their program that they don't know about. That's the premise I've always gone on. So I lean that way. But that doesn't mean he knew how bad it was or how maybe frequent it was. And maybe players got carried away. Again, we don't know yet. We're going to find out. And his future, his days at Northwestern are over because there's now been a break in the whole program. The... Question is, does he get his $40 million and go on his way with a reputation that allows him to be hired again? Now to Bob Huggins, which is a different story and in a lot of ways a more predictable story. Bob Huggins went on a podcast and made some ridiculous comments about, uh, about Xavier and about homosexuality and about all this stuff and it was bad then he topped it off by basically driving his car into an accident while he was completely tanked and he got arrested for drunken driving so they read a statement after the drunken driving incident they didn't fire him they they, they hit him for a million bucks after the podcast. And then they announced he was, they were parting ways with him and they wanted him to get help and blah, blah, blah. Now, you know how Bob Huggins has been his whole life. He's the tough guy. 
He's like the John Wayne of coaches, okay? He's run a program where he's had a bunch of tough players from the wrong side of the tracks who played their hearts out, won a lot of games, played tough. The guy's a Hall of Fame coach. He's won over 900 games. Uh, he's never won the championship, but he's been – he's had a lot of the teams that made deep runs. He's a, you know, a feature, you know, a part of March every year. And now he was going to go get help for his drinking and then, you know, go play golf or, you know, do TV or whatever he was going to do at the age of 70. Now, Bob Huggins says, with different lawyers, because he's gone through a whole bunch of lawyers, including one that has ties to the school, who didn't want to represent this, that he never agreed to leave the school and that he is in rehab now and he expects to get his job back after he gets into rehab. We all know, they've already named an interim coach. He's not getting his job back. He can stand on his head. He's not getting his job back. I'm surprised he thinks he can get his job back because if West Virginia gave him his job back right now, the president on down would look like complete fools. He didn't have one incident. He had two. If they botched this that badly that they had to give him his job back, they would have to fire all those people because those people would have been just incredibly incompetent because the grounds for dismissal were enormous. West Virginia had no choice. They had to part ways with him. And this, from what I understand, is not a money grab. He wants his job back. He wants to coach. He's going, I'm in rehab, I'm getting clean, and I'm coming back, and I'm coaching my players. We all know it's not going to happen. That game, that ship has sailed. But where this goes, who knows? But these schools are mortified by these things, and they should be. They handle them terribly. The coach should realize what this looks like after having, listen, we all know Bob Huggins had a checkered past in some regards, okay, as far as graduating play. He took a different kind of kid, as you know. He took kids that weren't going to be great students. He took kids that were tough guys, and he molded them into a basketball team that, could play, that played great defense, that pressed, and played hard. That was their MO. And they won a lot of games. And he always, you know, was the gruff, tough guy. Not a bad guy. I always got along with him. I didn't think he was a bad guy. But, you know, there are a lot of guys who had that kind of program. We all know that. Where he had guys who weren't students. Which we, they, he had basketball players. And schools allow that stuff. Because they want to win. They want to fill stadiums. Filling stadiums sells universities. Just look at a Villanova. Villanova's applications since they've won two national championships have skyrocketed. It has become one of the hardest schools to get into because they get so many applicants. But people want to go there. Boston College went through this with Doug Flutie. Athletics sells the university. 
It makes the school incredibly attractive to students. Hey, that looks like a great place to, you know, go to school. Plus, I can go to the games. We can have a great time, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know. The Villanova basketball program is a huge business now. Built by Jay Wright and built brilliantly by Jay Wright. So that stuff works. And that's why college, that's why coaches are tolerated. Because they win. Coaches that don't win are never tolerated. They're at the door. But the Bob Huggins of the world are tolerated because they win. Pat Fitzgerald's been at Northwestern all these years because he did something that no one thought it was possible at Northwestern. Make them competitive. The great Aaron Parsegan did for a couple of years before he went on his way. But you have to have someone special there to do that. And Pat Fitzgerald's done that. And now you got a whistleblower who wants to run him out and say, hey, this barbaric hazing, which is highly sexual in nature, is something that is on his watch. And if it is, he should be fired. Be the first to admit it. Not only that, I would never hire him again if this stuff is true. But you got to prove it. You don't get to take a guy down who has no history of anything bad unless you can prove he did it. And sometimes they do it and you can't prove it. That's happened a lot to coaches. And those guys get to come back and coach again. And sometimes maybe we'll give them the benefit of the doubt and maybe they didn't do it. But I've always felt that coaches always know what's going on. That that excuse never rings true to me. Because they always brag about knowing. You can send your emails to mikefrancesapodcast at gmail.com. We'll get to as many as we can. Let's go quickly through some today. Let's see what you have on your mind. Leonard, I didn't think the Yanks hitting coach was a scapegoat. I did call him a scapegoat. Uh, I believe it's more than him being a scapegoat and more to do with how he messed up Volpe's swing. Listen, they did change Volpe's stance in season. He got off to a shaky start. Now, early on, he was walking, but he wasn't hitting. He went through a 30-game surge where he hit well. He's hit home runs in the first half. He's got 13, so he's hit home runs. But if you look at his last 25, 30 at-bats, he's back with his 150 batting average again. And no walks and a lot of strikeouts. He struck out 100 times already this year. So are you telling me you got rid of the batting instructor because of how Volpe hit? Give me a break. They got rid of him because the whole team is in a major funk offensively. The likes of which the Yankees haven't seen, but it's because the Yankees are putting guys like Cabrera in the lineup and guys like Donaldson in the lineup. And they're getting nothing out of guys who they expect a lot from, like LeMayu and Rizzo and Stanton. And you're going to tell me Rizzo's failure is on the batting coach? Was Stanton 
all these years in the major leagues, or Donaldson all these years in the major leagues, there is on the batting coach? Give me a break. LeMayo is hitting 220 because of the batting coach? Listen, those guys are proven veteran players of quality who are having terrible years. Then sprinkle in Volpe struggling. Then sprinkle in having Judge out of the lineup and then having Cabrera and a bunch of guys play corner outfield where they have contributed nothing. Cabrera is hitting 204 with a 259 on base percentage, and he doesn't feel the position well. He's got a 560 OPS. You can't play a guy in the major leagues with a 560 OPS. I don't care if he's the best fielder in the world, and he's not. So they went out and got a guy who you know, who's a likable guy who had a good career, and they make him the batting coach. And they say, he's got, he, he's got an enthusiasm. He's got a great personality. Okay? He's a cheerleader. He's a psychologist. I have never been a big believer in the batting instructor. Why? Because hitting is an individual art. Everybody hits differently. There's not one way to hit. What I'd like to see done is when they have, when they're two runs down in a game in the ninth inning and the number nine hitter leads the inning off with a base hit, okay, and you're a couple of runs down, how about the leadoff batter, namely Volpe, who was hitting 216 or 210 at the time? How about he takes a strike? Is that too much to ask? No. He swings at a 1-0 pitch and hits it to a double play. Those things are lost arts. No one takes a strike anymore. When we were kids and we played, you had to take a strike when you were down in a game late. It was automatic. You were coming out of the lineup if if you swung at the first pitch or you didn't take at least one strike because you're trying to get guys on base. Make the pitcher work. If he wants to give you a free pass, you take it. That's baseball. Not anymore. You watch now in games. Nobody does that anymore. They swing at whatever they want. I've seen times where the guys are looking to rally late in the game. A guy walks a guy on four pitches. The guy next guy comes up and swings at the first pitch. crazy so I understand about Volpe you want to change the batting instructor fine but again the Yankees problems are in Judge being out and Rizzo and Stanton and LeMayu not hitting Plus the idea that they think they should be playing Donaldson in the middle of the lineup with a 150 batting average. Then adding in guys at the bottom who just can't hit. 
The Yan- 98 Yankees had Brocious batting ninth with 90 RBIs. This team doesn't have a guy in the middle of the lineup that has 90 RBIs. <laughs> who's going to get 90 RBIs? They have two guys with 30% on base percentages in the entire lineup. That's absurd. Plus, they have no left-handed quality except Rizzo, and he is in a nightmare slump. Jason, how do you rank Jokic uh, among the greatest NBA big men of all time? Well, the, the, the way big men are now judged and the game they are asked to play now is so different than the past. But this is one of the more unique talents I've ever seen. He's been compared to Larry Bird. I think that's a bad comparison. I like to compare him to uh, a little more to Bill Walton, but Bill Walton was a much better rebounder and a much better shot blocker. They both were expert passers. This guy's got a better offensive repertoire than Walton had. He reminds me of Walton a little bit, but they're still different. This guy's a unique player because he can play the pick-and-pop game. He can, he can make a three. He can go to the basket with guys hanging on him and do. he can score from any angle. He can get to the line, and he will do the other things that you have to do. He will get his rebounds. He will get his assists. He'll fill up the card. He'll get a triple-double every night. Uh, he is a unique player and, yes, will be regarded as one of the great centers of all time. I don't think there's any question about it. Now, the center position, as we said, has changed dramatically. And now it's going to change again with Wemby in San Antonio. And let's be honest, that's where all eyes should be now in the NBA because Popovich just signed a five-year, $80 million contract, the biggest contract given a coach ever at the age of 74 to stay five years and coach that kid. And he will coach him to championships. I don't think that they'll put a championship team around him with Popovich. You got an all, you got a, a huge weapon now with an eight foot wingspan, a guy who can make threes at, 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 you know, at an incredible size, who's just got to show he has durability, which no one expects from a player that size. And you have an all time coach ready to put a team around him and staying to put a team around. Richard in Connecticut, the home run derby has become like watching a pinball machine. Do you agree? I'm not sure what that means. But I think it has become, like most things, it's run its course. It's become uh, tedious. Once in a while, a little dramatic, but way too long. Way too long. And the key to the whole thing is never the hitter, because they can all knock the ball out of the ballpark one after another. It's the pitcher. Look at Alonzo. They put him out there with a guy who could not throw the ball over the plate. I mean, I felt bad for Alonzo. He never got a pitch grooved to him the whole time. While some of these guys had 10 and 20 pitches in a row grooved perfectly. All he had to do was take the bat back, swing it through. Take the bat back, swing it through. Take the bat back, swing it through. Alonzo couldn't do that. He's in the ball the right field, hitting the ball the center field. Because the pitcher was awful. I understand he didn't have time to work and he lost his pitcher. But your feeder or your 
hurler or your pitcher, whatever you want to call him, is critical to the operation. But I think it's lost a lot of its luster. As great as Paul Goldschmidt is, is from Frank, it seems as though he is still underrated and not talked about much. You know, some players don't have a lot of pizzazz in their game. It's just the way it is. They deliver, but they, just by their very nature, get a little off the beaten path. And that doesn't take away from who they are. There's always players like that, and he's one of those. Ed, did Daniel Jones show you that he can be a guy to lead a team back to a perennial playoff spot, or was that mainly coaching making him look good? Uh, I think the coaching game plans were superb last year, absolutely superb. I think for Jones to be at his best, he's got to run. So I think in years to come, that is worrisome that his legs uh, become less of a factor for him, and they are a very big part of his game, very big. Very important part of his game. But he can get the ball down the field. He can throw the deep ball. Um, I think you can win with Jones, yes. Do I think he's great? No. Do I think you can win with him? Yes. Your thoughts on Fitzgerald and Huggins? Uh, I just went through that, Patrick, in a very big way, so we've done that. Um, Daryl in Florida, would you support the Knicks moving heaven and earth to get uh, Joel Embiid uh, to pair him with Brunson? I don't know about moving heaven and earth because you'd have to define for me what that means. But I think that would be a very good fit. I would have loved to find a way to well, it was silly to think because the Nets were never going to move a player to the Knicks. Uh, but um, I would have liked to, in this very time of flux for the uh, Nets, I would have loved to be able to go in there and maybe see if I could steal some players from them, especially one who you know I want. But then, you know, you guys are going to accuse me of having too many Villanova guys. But um, Embiid would help in a big way. I don't see that happening because I don't think they have a combination that would be acceptable. I don't, I don't know what heaven and earth means, but I don't think they would have what it takes to make that deal. So uh, would, he, would he be a positive? Absolutely. Would he be an interesting fit? Yeah, he would be, yeah. But again, I can think of a lot of guys who would be an interesting fit. You know, getting them is a whole different deal. Enjoy your uh, start of the second half of the baseball season. We got a lot more to do as we head uh, through the days of July. Um, we are one day away for you racing enthusiasts from opening of Saratoga, which is always a very special time. And I would tell you this. I always tell this to you. And as I walk through Saratoga in the summer, People stop me all the time and never once in my life, in all the years I've been going there and I've been going there for over 40 years, has anyone ever said to me, you know what, you promoted this place and I think it's awful. 
what they say is this is like the best vacation. The town's great. The racing's the place. The racing is unbelievable. The whole atmosphere, and I'll be coming back every year. And people become regulars. They really do. Um, if you are go, if you are looking to go away for a day or two, or a week, but even a day or two, and you're not looking to, you know, break the bank. But it's not cheap. Remember, you can go stay in a motel along the Northway. Anywhere from Albany through Troy and Schenectady, through all the towns that come, like Boston Spa and Malta. You go stay outside of Saratoga. If you stay inside Saratoga Springs proper, in when the racing is open, you are going to pay $400 for a hotel room. If the place is decent, you're going to pay $400 a night. They bump it up and they get away with it. They gouge there. That's all. There's no way around it. So, but if you go stay 15 minute drive on the Northway to the track, you can get a very reasonable room at a, any one of these hotels and motels that are along the way, and they're at every stop. The, if you're coming up the Northway from, from Albany, the, the track is exit 13, four, Saratoga Springs is exit 13, 14, and 15. The track is between exits 14 and 15. Um, you stay anywhere along the way, exit 10, 11, 12, or even before that, and you will get a room, and you're only 15 minutes from the track, 20 minutes from the track. That's it. And you're right into the parking lot. So, and there's plenty of places to park there. You can park on somebody's lawn. You can park in a yard. You can, there's a million places. You can park in a gas station. There's a million places to park. You might pay 10 bucks for the parking, but there's, you know, there's a million places to park for them. And I promise you, you will love it. So I know I'm part of the Chamber of Commerce for Saratoga Springs, but I say this every year because I want the audience to get a place that's quality and an enjoyable vacation. And that's a place you go and you will enjoy it. And even if you don't like racing, you will love the atmosphere at Saratoga. Because it's cheerful. As someone said to me once, Saratoga is just a happy place. And it is. It's a vibrant, happy place. It just is. And you're in a town where everything, the heartbeat is the racetrack. So any place you go into, any restaurant, any place, they have a TV, the races are on. If you... If something happens to track that day at the restaurants that night, everyone's talking about it. If you win a race in Saratoga, you walk through the town at night or you're going to a restaurant at night, everyone thought, stops you and congratulates you because they know you won. If they saw you at the track that day. The bottom line is that's how that town operates. It's built around the racehorse. And it's a very unique place from that regard. So it opens tomorrow through Labor Day, and it's, like I said, uh, it's a very, very special place, a place that I would be, I would feel terrible if I missed it any summer. Terrible. That's how much I enjoy it.
We'll see you later. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.